We hear the familiar line from uh, Mary here in this gospel. Um, you know, she's telling them to, uh, to do whatever he tells them. Whenever I'm celebrating a wedding, I try to get the point across to the groom to make sure that you do whatever she tells you, or this will not work. So, you know, at weddings, the, um, the groom and uh, the best man usually remain back in the sacristy or uh, another room sort of away from the crowd while uh, the guests arrive. And uh, the groom is understandably nervous, uh, usually pacing. Uh, I know when I usually come into the sacristy and shake hands with the groom, it's uh, you know, a little messy, uh, very sweaty. Uh, and you know the best man does everything he can, I think, to uh, resist the urge to tease the groom. Um, but it happens. You know, I think there's something about making the groom even more nervous if you can do that. But then comes the moment when uh, the men march out into the sanctuary and they wait for the bride. Uh, the ritual of teasing is over and something very serious has begun. And, um, you know, my experience with this is often... Uh, seeing the groom become very emotional. And, um, you know, even if the bride and groom have known one another for many years, dated for a long time, there is still something about that moment and that day that is still very, very special, despite what seems to be happening out there in the, in the culture of ours. And, you know, it, it just seems like that as each successive bridesmaid uh, walks down the aisle, the the groom is standing a, a little bit higher, uh, and he's you know, sort of peeking down the aisle, and there's this great sense of anticipation. You're like, where's the bride? And the more bridesmaids to wait for, the higher the anxiety. And then once the wedding party is in place, the organist plays a great fanfare, and the congregation stands, and the, the bride appears, and the reaction of the groom is electric in, in, in some ways. And he either snaps to attention or he becomes weak-kneed. You know, I, I often uh, see the groom begin to cry. And certainly no relationship is perfect, but there is usually something very wonderful about uh, the new relationship that is going to happen as these two come together in marriage. And the couple is dated. They will have done uh, loving things for each other during that time, but uh, they will also have uh, sinned against each other to some degree. They will have squabbled. They will have hurt each other's feelings or insulted each other's pride. And those are the things that happen in life, but something new is about to begin and a relationship that uh, you know that, that they will be wedded into that will uh, stand through time a loving relationship and as we read Isaiah today you know we can imagine God as the groom looking for us at the end of the aisle Oftentimes in our Old Testament, Israel has been described as um, an adulterous spouse. And it is certainly a very apt image for them. You know, Israel had made deals with the gods of other nations, 
uh, violating its people's special relationship with the Lord, and uh, then culminating in the, the exile into Babylon, a, a great punishment upon the people for all that had happened before. And by the time of our reading today, the Israelites have returned to Jerusalem, and God is very pleased to have them home. No matter what had happened, God loves his bride. No matter what happens in our relationship with God, God loves us. And, and most tellingly, not only does God's love get expressed, but God's love is like the love of a virgin. And, and what I mean there is that he has forgotten Israel's iniquities against him. And, and he's forgotten them absolutely. You know, the sin is so radically forgiven that, that what was happening there and what happens in our relationship with God is that we are seen as being pure again. Like the groom and the bride, our relationship with God starts new. It starts very, very fresh. And certainly only that type of love can make a marriage work. And it is the relationship that God wants for us, whether it's in your marriage or in your relationship with others who you are surrounded with, our relationship with God. You know, one of the the homilies that I use somewhat often when I am marrying a young couple, um, there's a word that is used called agape in the Greek, and it means indestructible goodwill. And that is the kind of love that God has for us. No matter how much we screw up, no matter how bad we have been, when we are truly sorry, when we are willing to change, there's nothing that will get in the way of God's love for us, an indestructible goodwill. And only that type of love will make a marriage work. Only that type of love will make the relationship that we have with God work as it is called to do. You know, in our day, it is the, um, the custom for the bride's family to provide the wedding feast, uh, what we, of course, call the reception. But in Jesus' day, it was, uh, it was the groom's family, or the groom himself, who was responsible for this. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, dads of daughters here who would like it to be that way in this day and age. So, you know, the groom is responsible for this, and unfortunately, what we hear today is that uh, the good stuff, the good wine, runs out. And uh, that then reflects very, very poorly upon uh, the host. And so what Jesus does here is he steps in. He takes on the role and the responsibility of the groom, and, and he becomes the host of the wedding, very quietly, of course only known to a few with regards to what happens here uh, in providing this superb wine that he does to, to continue the joy of the party, to continue the, the joy of the life of the people. And it's startling that when Jesus' mother asks him to do something about the situation, 
he initially seems to refuse. Um, you know, and, and we can't explain this away, of course. Uh, Jesus refused her, but he then does take upon himself the responsibility to fix the situation. But why? And why does he do this? And again, John's Gospel is telling us something about God's relationship with us. You know, Jesus did not perform a miracle because he was asked to do that, even if it was his mother asking him. Jesus ultimately performs the miracle because that was what God wanted to do for us. You know, this freely given love, um, you know, as we refer to it as grace. You know, it was not the request that moved him. It was his desire to take responsibility for us as the groom. And there's something else that John throws in for good measure here. The jars in the story were for Jewish ceremonial washing. The water that had been contained in them was to wash the hands and the faces and the feet of the guests, an act of hospitality to, to help them to purify themselves. And so the wine from these jars was a sign of an even better purification when God's people would be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. You know, our passage from Paul today provides a lesson for how a good relationship works. God wants us to know him. And inasmuch as we are made in God's image, each of us has been gifted individually. And we're called to take care, to use our gifts to learn about each other and about the God who loves us. And a good relationship exposes these gifts. You know, it, it, it puts them out there to be used in good ways, uh, you know, so that they're not just swallowed up for no good. This Jesus whom we believe in is the eternal groom who is waiting at the altar for us. And Jesus is the loving groom that, that once he sees us taking those first steps down the aisle toward him, any hurt, any slight is forgotten. There is only love. Jesus wants to be the groom. He wants to take responsibility as the groom in our lives. And all that that we have to do is to very simply get ourselves started down the aisle.